this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. It's great to have Stephanie home. She's involved in gospel work in China, and we'll be sharing about that on a Sunday night coming up soon. And so it's great to have her back. Thank you guys. What a blessing. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. So we continue to work our way through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And we're going to begin chapter 2 this morning in verses 1 through 7. And really what Paul is talking about here is who we were before Christ and who we are in Christ. Who we were and who we are. Ephesians 2 and verses 1 through 7, follow along in your copy of God's Word. The Bible says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us who are in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for your redemption that has brought us from death to life. And this morning as we look at who we were before we met Christ and who we are in Christ. We pray that, that that contrast would really just make us more deeply thankful for what you've done in our lives and that we might also understand that because we are new creations in Christ, that we have the power to live differently. Life can be so much different because we are now in You. And it's Your love, Your mercy, Your grace that has made all of that possible. Speak to us now through Your Word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One night many years ago, I was actually just out of college, and I'd been to a concert in Richmond with a couple of friends, my best friend at the time, John, and John's girlfriend, and somehow she got the task of driving that night, and she was fine driver, safe, and all of that, but her sense of direction, now that was another matter completely. So we've been to the concert, it was at the Richmond Coliseum in downtown Richmond, and I'm not much of a night owl, so right after the concert, we get in the car, and I'm, I fall, before we ever get out of downtown Richmond, I'm asleep in the back seat. So I wake up, it's a couple of hours later, check the time, it's about two hours later, and I'm thinking, you know, 
we should probably kind of be back in Tidewater about now. And I look in the front passenger seat, and my friend John, he's sacked out as well. And then I begin to look outside the window, and it's obvious that we're on an interstate. And I'm seeing exit signs for cities that are not in our Commonwealth of Virginia, okay? Um, but that are in North Carolina. And so I look up at John's girlfriend who's just driving away, you know, just humming a tune, um, just totally confident that she's going in the right direction. And with each passing moment, taking us further and further away from our destination. You know, the Bible says that apart from the intervention of God, If left to ourselves, not only will we choose the wrong path, but we'll be totally convinced that we're on the right path. And that's really what he's talking about here in verses 1 through 3 when he talks about who we were outside of Christ. Who we were. He, he talks about that in these, in these first three verses. Who we were before we met Christ. He says in verses 1 through 3, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived and the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So who is Paul talking about in verses 1 through 3? Is he talking about some particularly decadent tribe of human beings? I mean, who is he talking about? Well, in verses 1 and 2, he uses the second person uh, pronoun. He says, and you were dead. He says it again in verse 2, in which, in which you once walked. So if you saw verses 1 and 2 just in isolation from verse 3 and from the rest of the Bible, you could think, well, you know, he's just talking about Gentiles. Most of the people in the Ephesian church had come from a Gentile background and they had been particularly morally debauched and things like that. You could think, well, you know, he's just referring to the Gentile world, but then in verse 3, he shifts to the first person, plural. He says, among whom we, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. Paul was a Jew. The Jews were not known for, you know, moral debauchery or anything like that, and Paul himself had been a Pharisee. I mean, he, he was looked at, they were looked upon as, you know, the most uh, righteous people in, in, in society. But Paul says, we're all implicated in this. Jew, Gentile, the rest of mankind at the end of verse, everybody, every human being is under sin. This is all of us. He says in Romans 3, 9, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, that's every human being, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, he's talking about everybody. 
Okay? This is all of us apart from Christ. So what does he say about the state of human beings outside of Christ? He says that we were dead in trespasses and sins before we met Jesus. Uh, Now, that means that before Christ, we were alienated from God. We were separated from God because of our sins. God is holy, and our sins separated us. They alienated us from this holy God. And sin is any failure to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And all of us have failed miserably to do uh, in doing both of those things. We have not measured up. We have not loved God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We've not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have all fallen miserably short of that standard. We're all sinners. And we were dead in sin, alienated, separated from God, and in, in bondage. In bondage. The world will tell you that freedom is found outside of Christ. No, freedom is found in Christ. We were in bondage before we met Christ. And we were in bondage basically to three powers, three forces. And the first was the world. We were in bondage to, uh, to the things of, of the world. Verse 2. In which you once walked, following the course of this world. Without Christ, we just conform to the culture around us. We just move along with the, the rest of the herd. I mean, the influence of TV, media, and, and just the whole drift of the spirit of the age and the culture that we, that we live in just sort of will carry us along in its flow, in its current. We just get molded to the the pattern of the spirit of the age, the pattern of this world. Now, the Bible tells us in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That means that as Christians, instead of allowing ourselves to be molded according to uh, the values of this world, the spirit of this age, it means that we're called to be nonconformist. We are to be rebels with a cause. But be prepared because the world doesn't take very well to nonconformists. <laughs> most of the people in the world are being conformed to the world and they really don't like the fact that you're bucking the system. And so be prepared for pressure. Be prepared for persecution. And the only thing that will enable us to, to really withstand that and, and, to, and to resist the, uh, the conformity that the world seeks to, to press upon us, the only way that we can resist that is to have 
something that is outside of ourselves, some objective standard of truth to base our lives on. And as Christians, we have that. Okay, It's, it's the Word of God. You're either going to be conformed to the world or you're going to be transformed by the Word. If we don't have something that is outside of us to make decisions, okay, about truth and falsehood, right and wrong, okay, then what's going to happen? What are we going to do? We're going to go with just our feelings. We're going to go with what the culture says, what the world says. Okay, you're either going to be conformed by the world or you're going to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, which happens when we immerse ourselves in God's Word. You know, in the movie Apollo 13 there's a scene in which there's a catastrophic electrical failure on board the spacecraft. And the the astronaut who was navigating, Jim Lovell, has the assignment of navigating the spaceship back to Earth without the normal electrical instruments inside the spacecraft. But he had one thing that would enable him to navigate, and that is that they could look outside the craft and they could see their destination, the earth, which was still out there, unchanging, and that was where they were headed. The instruments on board the craft had failed. The instruments within had failed, but they had an objective point outside of the craft to guide them. Now listen, that's, that's our situation. We can't rely on our own, you know, subjective feelings to make decisions about truth and error, morality and immorality, right and wrong. We, we don't go by what's, uh, you know, subjective in here, our feelings. We don't go by what the world says, what the culture says. We go by what Scripture says. And so when you face questions about any of these things, about truth about you know morality anything like that the question has to be what does the bible teach what does scripture say um because if we're not being transformed by the word we will be conformed to the world okay So we've got this force, the world, okay, that seeks to hold us in bondage. The the second force that Paul talks about here is the devil. And he talks about the devil in the latter part of verse 2. He says, "We were before Christ we were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, this doesn't mean, obviously, that before we met Christ that we were involved in the occult. It doesn't mean that we were consciously following Satan. Um, Nevertheless, as Bob Dylan once said, you've got to serve somebody. And it might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. You see, in this spiritual war, there is no neutrality. And if we are not for Christ 
then we are unconsciously tools of the enemy. We're serving him. If you've never read read C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, I can't commend that strongly enough. It's just an incredible portrait of... um, of spiritual warfare and it just through the case study of, of one young guy who's on the verge of becoming a Christian and these letters are written from one demon to another and it just shows how, how the enemy seeks to get us in his clutches. Fortunately, if you are in Christ, then you have a protection in your life that is greater than Satan, greater than anything that Satan can throw at you. And that's Christ himself. But here's what you have to do. You have to stay close to the source of your protection. Okay? Christ is your protection. We need communion with God. Stay close to Jesus, and you'll be protected from the schemes of the devil. The third force that Paul mentions here in verse 3 is the flesh. The flesh. Before Christ, we were in bondage to our flesh, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So the powers of the world and the devil are powers that are outside of us. This third power is something that is within us. Now, when he talks about the flesh... He's not here referring to our physical bodies, you know, as if there was something intrinsically bad about our physical bodies. There's, there's not. When he talks about the flesh, he's talking about the sinful nature that resides within our physical bodies. It's the sinful nature that every single one of us was born with and that is bent in the direction of sin. And it's not just our body that has fallen, it's our mind. What does he say here? He says, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. You see, our minds are not exempt from our fallenness. Our minds are fallen too. And so our sin nature impacts the way that we think. It impacts the way that we act, um, and apart from Christ, what do we do? We just live by instinct, right? Carrying out the desires of the body and mind. Now, here's the problem. Because of our sinful nature, many of our desires are sinful, (laughs) okay? They're corrupted by sin. And so the world tries to say what? If it feels good, do it. You know, if it seems right to you, then you just need to go with that. And the world is especially saying that today in arguments about sexuality and specifically about homosexuality. The popular argument in the culture goes, well, hey, if you find yourself attracted to someone of the same gender then that's just natural to you. Some would go so far as to say, hey, that's just that's God-given, so that's a good thing, and you just need to embrace that and go with that. Now listen, that is a disastrous line of thinking because here's a newsflash for you. Every single one of us 
is born with a sinful nature, and every single one of us has sinful tendencies. And it might not be same-sex attraction, but I promise you, all of us are born with a bent tendencies in the direction of sin. It's because our desires are fallen. Some people are um, from an early age, I mean from the time they're babies, toddlers, I mean just have a, an explosive temper. I mean they just, you know, they just, they, they have difficulty controlling it and it's, it's, a, it's a deep bent um, toward that. Um, there are people that have violent tendencies. I mean their tendency from the, as long as they can remember, there's a, there's a deep tendency to settle things with their fists or worse. We know that some people are born far more prone to addictive types of behaviors. Um, there are people that struggle with dishonesty, just with a compulsion to lie or to steal. Many people are... Um, just uh, they have tendencies toward violence. I mean, I'm talking about from, from early childhood. And there are other people that might not struggle with same-sex attraction, but there are, that's just one sexual sin, okay? And many people um, that are, uh, they have desires for you know, pornography, for uh, fornication, for adultery, the list goes on and on. So, are we just to uh, go with these things? Embrace these things? Roll with these things? Hey, that's my tendency, that's my desire, just going to go with that. No. Jesus says the path to human flourishing is not self-indulgence of our sinful tendencies, but to make war on those things and to follow him in the power of the Spirit. Jesus says in Luke 9, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So Jesus says the path to life is not indulging our sinful desires, but self-denial and following Him. And we do that in the power of the Spirit. It's the only way that we can put these things to death. Paul says in Romans 8, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so, before Christ, we're in bondage to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, because of all of that, at the end of verse 3, he says, we were by nature children of wrath. In other words, if we got what we deserved from a righteous God, we would get God's wrath. God would pour out his righteous wrath upon us. But... Because of his love, instead of pouring out wrath upon us, here's what God did. He poured out himself. He became a human being. 
who took his own righteous wrath against sin that we deserved, and he took it upon himself. That's what the cross is all about. Christ, Christ took God's righteous wrath against sin. He, he paid the debt. He took the wrath and then was raised from the dead so that we could have forgiveness, so that we could have a new life. And this is who we are in Christ. He's talking about that in verses 4 through 7. Let's look at it. Who we are in Christ. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now the overwhelming theme of verses 4 through 7 is God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, God's kindness. I mean, look at the language here that Paul uses. He says God is what? Rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. That he, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then in verse 7 he talks about the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness. This is the overwhelming theme here. God's undeserved grace, mercy, compassion, love, kindness. Okay, and this was not God responding to us getting our act together. Because we didn't have it together. We were dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. You know, this is just sheer, one-sided grace and mercy. What does he say here in verse 4? God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in sin, alienated from God, separated from God, and he took the initiative. It was just sheer, one-sided grace. How much grace? How much grace? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 5, 8, for God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still dead in trespasses and sins, Christ died for us. And not only died for us, but was raised. Now, here's a remarkable thing. In a mysterious way, when that happened, as a believer, you were with him. What is true for Jesus is true for you. What happened to Jesus happened to you. Because we as believers are united to Christ. Paul says in Galatians 2.20 that we've been crucified with Christ. What does he say here in, in, in verses 5 and 6? He says in verse 5 that we were, what, made alive together with Christ. 
What does he say in verse 6? He says that we've been raised up with Christ and are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So, because of your union with Christ as a believer, He died and you died. That means that the old before Christ you died. Dead. Gone. You are new in Him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So the old before Christ you, dead. He died, you died. He was buried, you were buried. He was raised, you were raised. If he, uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 We were buried, therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, our union with Christ is pictured by believers' baptism by immersion. Every time that you see someone baptized in this church, it's picturing this verse. It's picturing the, the burial of Christ person's lowered beneath the water. When they're raised up out of the water, it pictures resurrection. It means that we are united to a Savior who was crucified, buried, and rose from the dead. We're united to Him. And all of those things. And He says here um, in verse 6 that... He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. So what does that mean? Because I feel like I'm really earthbound, <laughs> okay? Well, so what does He mean when He says we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places? <clears throat> it means this. It means that even though we're living out our lives on this earth, that the victory has already been won. Christ has won the victory for us. Um, it means that we have a glorious inheritance that is awaiting us, and it means that when you trusted in Jesus, you were adopted as God's child, and you have a new identity in Christ, a new position in Christ. And listen, our position and Christ could not be any more perfect. When you trusted in Jesus, the perfect righteousness of Jesus was credited to your account. It means that you're clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And you are in His grace. Now that is who you are. That is your new identity in Christ. Child of God. Beloved Precious child of God. That's who you are. That's your new identity. And your position in Christ is already perfect. Now, here's the deal. Christian growth, as we live out our lives on this earth, Christian growth is about the actual practice of our lives becoming more and more like the position that we already have. 
You already are a child of God. You have a new identity, new creation, perfect position. As we grow in Christ, it's about becoming more and more in the actual practice of our lives, who we already are in our position. So in other words, become who you are. (laughs) Be who you are in Christ You are new, so live new. You're not a slave to sin anymore. And that's exactly what Romans 6 is all about. He says there, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. In other words, you are not a slave anymore. You were once in bondage to sin. You're not anymore. You are a beloved child of God. You are a new creation and you have the power to live differently. You're not a puppet on Satan's string anymore. You can freely live for Him and the power of the Spirit. Now listen, we need to think of ourselves that way. Think, you need, some of you, 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 your, your, your minds are still stuck in the old paradigm. You need to begin to think of yourself differently as a new creation in Christ. You are, you are new. You are new. Live like who you are. You know, identity theft is a great fear that we have in our day. I mean, somebody steals information from a credit card or a social security number or whatever and uses it for fraudulent purposes, uses it to steal from us. Um, Identity theft, terrible thing. Identity gift, wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. Because if you're in Christ... You have a new identity. You were not born with it. You do not deserve it. You did not earn it. It was given to you. And you can draw from its checking account of spiritual blessings, immeasurable, unsearchable riches. You can draw from it at will, appropriate from it, live in it. Yes, new who we are in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the new life that we have in Christ, the new identity that you have given us. We thank you for your deliverance from bondage. Father, I pray for anyone here today who's not yet come into that new identity in Jesus. Father, I pray that today they would turn from sin and turn to Jesus and trust Him. As we just continue to pray, listen, I want to talk to you very personally. If you're not sure that you're a Christian, God has done everything necessary for you to be a new creation in Him. The debt has been paid. Christ has risen Turn to Him right now. Trust Him. Rest 
in his finished work. Just receive the free gift of salvation that is found in him. And Jesus tells us that that when we do that, we're to acknowledge him before others. We are not to keep the most important decision of our lives a secret. If it's real, then we'll acknowledge him publicly. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And if you're deciding to follow Jesus, I want to invite you, as others stand, just step out from where you are and just come share with me what's happened in your life. We just want to come alongside you as a new believer in Christ. Or maybe you're here today and God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family. You know, we would love to welcome you. If there's a need in your life, you want someone to pray with or you just want to pray at the altar, it's open for you to do that. So, Father, we pray now that you would work and have your way for decisions that need to be made, for stands that need to be taken. Lord, make this a definitive moment, turning point in lives today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.